ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله يا ايها الذين امنوا اتقوا الله حق تقاته ولا تموتن الا وانتم مسلمون يا ايها الذين امنوا اتقوا الله وقولوا قولا سديدا يصلح لكم اعمالكم ويغفر لكم ذنوبكم ومن يطع الله ورسوله فقد فاز فوزا عظيما اما بعد when we look at the legacy of our beloved prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam when you look at the extremely difficult time period within Medina specifically. Sayyidina Anas, he described, this was someone who served the Prophet firsthand for 10 years. And this was why he knew so many hadith from the Prophet ﷺ, because he was constantly in his presence. So he was constantly learning, whether consciously or unconsciously. He was constantly collecting these gems and pearls and gold and silver in terms of the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ. So coming from him, he's the one who's saying this, that the brightest day in the entire city was when the Prophet arrived to Medina ﷺ. And the darkest day in Medina was the day he passed away ﷺ. What was the legacy that he left behind though? What was the legacy the Prophet left behind ﷺ? The main thing that he left behind, the main thing he left behind was a generation of people who were transformed from the inside out. So much so to the extent that they ended up transforming the rest of the world. And this is no exaggeration to say. Non-Muslim historians until now are stumped when they look at how is it that the Muslims expanded and simultaneously took on the Persian Empire on one side and the Roman Empire on the other, that's astonishing in and of itself. And on top of that, continue to expand one conquest after another. Especially when you look at the Persian Empire specifically, the Prophet prophesied, sallallahu Wasallam, that there would be like one, you know, one big battle basically, then after that, it's not going to last after that. That's exactly what happened. But for the Romans, it would be time and time and time again. How is it these people even had the idea to think of these different things? How is it that Islam had spread to China and to Andalusia? within a century after the demise of the Prophet The answer is the hearts of people. The main thing the, the Prophet left behind was not primarily his masjid, was not primarily the city of Medina, was not primarily things, although those, although those definitely have their time and their place and their importance, we're not, we're not saying otherwise. But if you think of the masjid of, a, of the Prophet ﷺ, that special place was a means. It was a means. And what was the end goal? To transform the hearts of people. 
So much so that we all know the story of when the, the, the Bedouin man came into the message of the Prophet and unknowingly he starts urinating in the back. Right? We all know the story. But just think about it for a moment how within a split second the Prophet had so much wisdom to deal with that situation in a way that left that man leaving that situation not only unscathed, untouched, unhurt, but loving the Prophet more after doing what he had just did, not knowing what he was doing at that time. Because if you think about it, if someone's a Bedouin with their, with their flock in the middle of nowhere, no one cares if you're going to use the restroom facing north, south, east, or west. It doesn't matter. It's you and your animals. Do whatever you want. The man didn't realize what he was doing, that what he was doing was very offensive to city folk. It was a horrible mistake at the same time he didn't realize. Talk about being put on the spot regarding the Prophet ﷺ. So the man is unintentionally desecrating the masjid of the Prophet ﷺ in front of the Prophet and his companions. The immediate reaction, the knee-jerk reaction, the, the gut response from the companions was very understandable. They wanted to jump the guy. How dare you? What do you think you're doing? Not just in general, but here and in front of the Prophet ﷺ, they wanted to jump the guy. They wanted to teach him a lesson. The Prophet was the one telling them no. Think about it. He's the Prophet. This is his masjid. If anyone should be, you would think, the most offended person, it would be him. But he's the one, and think of the, the, the quick thinking, the wisdom of the Prophet packed into the split second, Like You truly see the living example of Siraja Munira in this story. In a flash, the Prophet decides to respond by telling, he knows his companions, and he knows what they want to do. He's the one immediately telling them no. Let him finish. Doesn't that sound strange? Let him do more of what he's already doing to the point that he is done. Can you imagine? What was the response of them? And this is amazing. It's very subtle, but it's absolutely amazing when you go through the seerah of the Prophet. It's absolutely stunning how often and how consistently you find the companions living sami'na wa atana. For them, it wasn't a casual thing if the Prophet said something. It wasn't, you know, maybe I'll do it, maybe I won't. The hypocrites responded in that way. And the majority of the time, they didn't want to do anything positive. And if they did anything positive, it was just for show, there was no sincerity. But what was the consistent response from the companions? They listened. They listened and obeyed. Because they understood who's telling them what to do. And what's amazing is even if at that very moment it did not necessarily make so-called logical sense, they had enough trust in the Prophet to know that even if I don't understand it now, guaranteed it's going to end up making sense. Look at the Treaty of Hudaybiyah. At first, it was hard to process. But Allah described it as an opening. Allah described it as a victory. And then over time that was seen. In that situation, didn't they listen and obey to the Prophet when he told them, we're not, we're not going to complete this journey that we initially set out on to go for Umrah. 
They were completely devastated to the point that they were in a state of shock. They were stunned. They were stunned when they got the news that after all they had been through boiling up until that point, how many battles, how many people had, had already died in battle between the Muslims and Quraysh and these conflicts and you have Badr and Uhud and Hudaybiyah. And then soon after that, they're going for Umrah. There's all this anticipation and, and there's all this hype and excitement. Finally, we can go and have religious freedom when we go to our home city of Mecca for the Muhajirun, for the immigrants. We just want to do Umrah. They don't want to hurt anyone. They don't want to harm anyone. We just want to do Umrah. And they got the devastating news that, no, we're not going this year. We're going next year. You know what's amazing? They listened. They didn't say that. No, 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 no. We don't agree with you, Ya Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. We're going anyways. Who do they think they are? Sami'na wa atana. Like soldiers. The Prophet says this. That's exactly what they're going to do. Sami'na wa atana. So when you look at different examples from the life of the Prophet, you find this. You find the, 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 the companions, we listen and we obey. We listen and we obey. This was the legacy the Prophet left behind. The Prophet left behind the hearts of people who were transformed, who were completely changed for the better. Sami'na wa atana. These were people who, they, they lived this deen. And we have it until today because of the sacrifices they made. Because of their level of discipline, when the Prophet told something, they did it. So when the Prophet tells them, no, 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 let this man finish using the restroom in my masjid, let him finish. After he finishes, go and clean up. Go and pour some water, purify the place. One of the reasons for this was because Many of the companions, they were very poor. They only had one garment to wear. If they were to go and tackle this guy and teach him a lesson, it's going to turn into a, a huge headache for them to have to go home and then to have to clean that one garment they had and then they have to wait patiently while it dries and probably cover themselves in a bed sheet or something, you know, something simple. That's one of the wisdoms behind it. But the main wisdom, the heart of that person, the heart of that person who was unknowingly desecrating the message of the Prophet ﷺ. Not knowing what he was doing was, was beyond horrible. The Prophet said what? Let him finish. After he finishes, go and, and clean it up. Pour water, basically clean it. And then the Prophet goes and speaks to him. He didn't speak at him. He spoke to him ﷺ. He goes to him and he explains to him, you know, we don't do these things here. This is the house of Allah, we remember Allah here, we read Qur'an here, we pray here. But we don't do those things here. And this, this man, he, he sees the faces of everyone else, and he sees the face of the Prophet smiling, right, patiently, calmly, lovingly, talking to him. And what was his response? May Allah have mercy on me and Muhammad and nobody else. Forget you guys. Think about it, the Prophet just corrected him, but he did so with such wisdom, rahmah, that the one he's correcting regarding a pretty bad mistake is immediately making dua for him. May Allah have mercy on me and Muhammad 
Nobody else. And how did the Prophet respond? Don't take something vast and make it narrow. Why do I bring up this story? In that moment, the Prophet decided to consciously prioritize the heart of that person over the building of his masjid. He prioritized for those few moments, let him finish. He decided that I am going to take such care of the heart of this person who's doing something wrong, but I'm going to handle the situation in a way that I hope is going to transform his heart for the better, and that's exactly what happened. There's no question for us, there's a need for our masjid. There's a need for this masjid. There's a need for this center without question. The first project the Prophet prioritized, and it's very symbolic, when he arrived in Medina before he had his own home, we need to build the masjid. This is priority number one. We need to build the masjid. Before he arrives in Medina, he builds Masjid Quba. When he arrives in Medina, what's priority number one? What is project number one? We need to build the masjid. Because the masjid is the heart of the community for the Muslims. The pulse of the community is found in the masjid. When the masjid is strong, then everything else is strong. And when the masjid is weak, then everything else is weakened as well. As individuals, as families, as a society. It's extremely important, without question. Even then, it's 1B. 1A is people. The masjid is a means towards transforming the hearts of people. What was the main thing the Prophet left behind? The Prophet left behind not tall buildings and structures and fancy this or that. In terms of material things, what the Prophet left behind was a generation of changed men and women and children. Everybody loved the Prophet, from the old to the young, the men to the women, those who were constantly in the masjid and those who came once in a while. They all love the Prophet ﷺ. So when it comes to our masjid here, we need to invest in this masjid. We need to support this masjid with our time, with our effort, to support it financially. We have to. It has to be in that category one type of financial category when we each go through our budget. You have to pay for your, your family's food and shelter and clothing. There should be another box in that Excel sheet supporting the masjid, supporting this center, supporting MCYC. Because it is priority number one. And we have to invest in the masjid because we have to invest in the youth. I asked Sheikh Ahmed, may Allah bless him and his family. I, I, went, I, I came to him and I said, can you please call Adhan? And I asked the, the, the brother very kindly, I said, your adhan is beautiful, I love it, but can you let him call adhan? Why did I want him to do that? To remind all of us that this is why we're here. We come and go, we're going to be gone tomorrow. But we have to support the youth today. We have to support the masjid today. The message of Islam was carried on the backs and shoulders primarily of youth. When you look at the Ten Companions Promised Jannah, the special all-star team of companions, the average age is about 20. The average age is about 20. Sayyidina Ali is 10 when he becomes Muslim. As Zubayr is a teenager. Talha is a teenager. We have to invest today to prepare our youth for tomorrow.
الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين إن الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي أيها الذين آمنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما صلى الله على محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم I want to implore each and every one of you please give me one or two minutes after the prayer for a quick fundraiser for this center for your center for this masjid for MCYC for the Mass Community and Youth Center not for me or for you for our kids and their kids and their kids, bi'idhnillah, this is what we hope. We have to at least do our part. We have to tie our camel, then we leave the rest to Allah. So I want to humbly ask each and every one of you, please remain seated after the prayer for one or two minutes. And please prepare your hearts to make an investment in your future, especially regarding your hereafter and in the future of our youth. Invest in your relationship with Allah. The Prophet taught us as burhan. That charity is proof. I guarantee you on that day, none of us are going to care about which house or car we used to have or didn't have. The only thing that's going to matter is a person's heart. The only thing that's going to matter is a person's deeds. One of the best things that we can do is to invest in the house of Allah. The messages are for Allah. Do you think Allah will let you down if you invest in His house? Do you think Allah will not repay you and give you so much more if you invest time, effort, and money in His house? Guaranteed He'll give you so much more in return. Guaranteed. Put that in capital letters in bold. Bright red. Guaranteed. But do we truly believe in what the Prophet taught us? You will never lose money when you give charity. We know this, but sometimes we just need to be reminded. We ask Allah to guide us and forgive us. We ask Allah to help us and protect us. We ask Allah to help us to do what we can today to preserve this masjid and to preserve this as a center, as a home, a second home and at times a first home for our youth so they have a safe place to go. There's too much bullying that's going on in schools and elsewhere. They need a safe place to go to be proud Muslims. Look at the legacy of Fatima al-Fihriya, the first university established in human history, not just Muslim history. Her family migrated from Qairawan. Caravan, the term comes from Qairawan in Tunisia. Her family migrated to Fez, Morocco. Her father was a very wealthy businessman. He passed away. She and her sister Maryam, they had a whole lot of inheritance. They could have kept it all for themselves, paid the minimum zakah, only care about themselves, but they didn't, especially Fatima. Her concern was, I want to leave a legacy for tomorrow, especially for the youth. And as a Muslim woman, she established the first university in human history that is still running strong until today. That's what you call leaving a legacy. Let's make this our Qarawiyin. Make this your Qarawiyin. Make this the primary source of light in your grave when we pass away, but we have to make that investment now. Rabbana atina fi dunya hasna wa fi al-akhirati hasna wa qin adhab al-nar. Rabbana la tu'akhidna inna sina au akhtaqna. Rabbana wa la tahmil alayna isran kama hamaltahu ala al-ladhina min qablina. Rabbana wa la tuhammilna ma la taqata lana bihi wa'afu anna. Wa aghfir lana warhamna anta mawlana.
We ask Allah for the best of this life and the next. We ask Allah for His protection. We ask Allah to guide us and protect us. We ask Allah to guide us and to guide our youth. We ask Allah to protect our youth. We ask Allah to fill this masjid with abundant nur, abundant light, and abundant barakah, abundant blessing. We ask Allah to make this masjid a place of refuge for all of us, especially for our kids and their kids and their kids. When Prophet Ibrahim was told, you're an imam for mankind, his response was, what about my kids and their kids and their kids and their kids the grandmother of Jesus the mother of Mary that's where that story starts she's pregnant she makes a promise to Allah this child in my womb is going to be dedicated for your service she delivers that baby it ends up being Sayyidah Maryam what was her concern when she's holding that baby and I'll conclude with this Ya Allah protect her and her progeny. She's holding a baby saying, Ya Allah, protect this baby and this baby's kids and their kids and their kids moving into the future. There has to be a concern for the future. We ask Allah to guide us and forgive us. Two quick du'a requests. Uh, Dr. Abdul Basit Farhat's father-in-law, Ahmed Shuhaib, passed away. We ask Allah to forgive him and to shower his mercy upon him, to fill his grave with abundant nur. Amin, Rabbil Alameen. Another du'a, Aryan Malik, an eight-year-old is sick with corona. Please pray for him. We ask Allah to heal him and to make things easier for him and his family. Amin, Rabbil Alameen. Wa aqim as-salam. Please remain seated after the prayer.